the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The news never stops. Life goes on around town and around the world. You need a talk show that keeps track of it. A program with bold opinions that's always open to your views. That is this show. Welcome to the Mark Davis Show on 660 AM. The answer. Alrighty, welcome everybody. Hour number two on this Wednesday, 31 Jan 24. Great to have you here. Quick bit of nostalgia because it's me and you know it's on a subject that I'm familiar with. I'll do that here in a second. But first, uh, on on today's hot topical plate, uh, Jill Dutton edges out Brent Money. Whoa, what does that mean? Maybe something, maybe not. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that and and whether there are ripples of that that uh, that head off. I will tell you all of the. Dade feeling loving Austin Swamp status quo brigades are thrilled that she won. And they think that uh, this means that uh, that real conservatives, that that the folks who are, you know, more in the Paxton and Patrick alignment in that universe of uh, are, are not going to fare as well. This is the the battle lines drawn in Austin. We'll talk a little bit about that. And of course, uh, the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, is it, it it makes sense, but it's not going to play out. So how can it make sense if we're not going to, you know, kick him out of office? Well, because you got to have, it's like impeaching a president, got to have two thirds of the Senate. You think two thirds of the Senate, do you think we need a bunch of uh, Democrats that are on board for impeaching Mayorkas? No. So it will go essentially nowhere, but the road to nowhere, we need some talking heads. Uh, the road to nowhere is, uh, is paved with some possible benefits to anytime you impeach somebody. It's like the logic of impeaching Biden, which seems to make no sense as here comes an election or you know, maybe who knows what in his life. Uh, but it would enable, uh, it would bring the muscle of some subpoenas and sitting people down where we could spend some of 2024 engaged in not an empty exercise in wheel spinning, but rather some real focus that, that Biden-loving media, Democrat-loving media would have to cover, uh, exposing the length and depth and breadth of uh, of, of, of the Biden crime family. I will tell you that I, I very seriously, because that's where most of the Biden impeachment noise has been, it's all about Hunter and that stupid laptop and influence peddling. All of it's important. It's important. But that doesn't resonate. The stuff that really resonates is the degree to which the Biden White House has abrogated its constitutional responsibility to protect the republic against an invasion. And it brings me back to a familiar place this week. Who is making the point on the TV box every day that people will let him that Joe Biden is violating his very oath? That's Greg Abbott, which leads me to ask you about the notion of the Trump Abbott bumper stickers this fall. Is that something that because the overall feeling I've gotten from y'all as a listening and calling public is obviously the vast majority of you are fine with Abbott. That's why he won comfortably fended off not one, but two 
challenges from the right, from good-hearted folks like Don Huff Hines and Alan West. But, and I, and I which, which, by the way, I told you was going to happen. God bless Don Huff Hines. God bless Alan West. Uh, but, but was Abbott going to get beaten? No. Um, but the book on Abbott has been that he's conservative enough to win broad favor in Texas, a still conservative state. But this this border war with Biden standing up to Biden in this way is earning him profound praise from a lot of people who were on board with with Huffines and uh, and Alan West. A lot of the folks who did not vote for Abbott in the last primary are loving on him now. So my one of my first questions to you is, do you believe there is a, a, a large conservative appetite in Texas and in America for our governor to be uh, Trump's running mate? Now, there is the talk show host in me loves this <laughs> for, for various reasons, <laughs> because uh, if 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 Abbott you know, winds up becoming vice president, uh, you know we're going to get Governor Ken Paxton, right? You do know that's coming. <laughs> so your thoughts, please, 866-660-5759. Um, more intrigue coming off the, the House District 2, uh, Jill Dutton, razor thin for now, victory over Brent Money. Well, it is razor thin. That, that's That's in concrete. It was a win, but they will meet again in the primary to determine not just the unserved HD2, vacancy from Brian Slayton's exit, but who's going to serve the actual next term. Anyway, here's the, here's the little tiny bit of, uh, of, uh, of, of reminiscence after badgering my parents for uh, decades of my, not decades, excuse me, for years of my pre-adolescence, it seemed like decades to them. I'm sure you got to go to Florida. We got to go see an Apollo launch. And I dorked out over the moon landing in 1969. And, and actually, uh, and we went back to the moon in November of 1969 with Apollo 12 and mom and dad had said uh, that maybe we would, you know, that it's okay. We'll go, we'll see what, how the, how the calendar works out. And yes, we'll go see an Apollo launch. Me and my buddy, Fred Daly, may God rest him. He passed away a few years ago, but Freddie and I just badgered our respective parents. We got to go to Florida. Got to see a launch. Got to see a launch. Got to see a launch. And we were going to go to the Apollo 13 launch. Obviously, the launch went fine. A couple of days later, everything went to hell. The thing blew up in space, got them back safely. Thank you very much. Jim Lovell and uh, and then Fred Hayes and Jack Swigert. But we didn't make that one. That was April of 1970. It just uh, didn't work out. But as push came to shove, as the holidays approached, as 1970 got ready to turn into 1971, and I was 13, um, I guess the you know the dailies and my mom and dad got together and, and they said, listen, let's it's the the Apollo fourteen was ready to go at the end of January. It's like okay, let's uh, let's 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 shut these kids up and let's take them. And uh, and and Fred's two sisters came and his uh, mom and dad and my mom and dad, and it was just a big old family uh, uh, caravan down to the Kennedy Space Center where today, oh gosh, fifty three years ago. Fred and I stood, mouths agape, as did our families, and watched um, the Apollo 14 Saturn V containing Alan Shepard, the first American in space, and uh, Ed Mitchell and Stuart Russo launch off for the moon. And it was, uh, I don't, no Saturn V launch can be anticlimactic, or as they say in Maryland, anticlimactic, or as Tony Romo says, anticlimactic, Tony 
Everybody bags on Romo. I think he's entertaining. Is he gargling with razor blades, though? Oh, Jim, I got He's like, wow, did, was, did he talk like that when, you know, he was uh, pre-broadcasting? Anyway, Romo threw on an anticlimactic. Anyway, though, no Saturn V launch can be anticlimactic, really. But the weather did not cooperate. Apollo 12 launched in a rainstorm and was struck by lightning. Yikes. As the launch date approached for Apollo 14, January 31st, 1971, we're down there, and there's this low shelf of overcast clouds, but it wasn't raining, and it wasn't windy, so they launched into it. So the 363-foot-tall Saturn V fired up there on January 31st with us watching along the Merritt Island Causeway, and you see that bright flash of light, and you know what you hear? Nothing. Because you're about three miles away. And the sound has to travel at the speed of sound. <laughs> and it takes a, it, it takes a few more than a few seconds. So you see the bright flash and you see the that pencil of a Saturn V rise and clear the tower, and it's just breathtaking. And then the sound rolls toward you and it gradually builds. It is not a sound that is loud, like cover your ears, owl kind of loud. Oh, it's loud. But it it beats on you. It creates a concussion in the air. As you're, you know, as you're, standing, you're standing there in the swampland of Florida, and it just kind of, I mean, it doesn't beat you up or you know, send you to the ground or anything, but you feel it at least as much as you see it. And see it we did for about 25 seconds until it vanished into a low shelf of clouds. Wah, wah, wah. But hey, we did not complain. I don't know if they wanted to make good on that for us, but um, Fred's parents and mine took us back the following year for the bright, sunshiny launch of Apollo 16 and even one of the Skylab launches in November of 1973. We kept we kept pulling money out of that that Apollo ATM. <laughs> We're good kids. We got good grades. We're not smoking the dope. <laughs> to take us back. And you know what the dirty little secret was? Our parents loved that trip. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. So anyway, today in history, the launch of Apollo 14, where uh, Alan Shepard was the oldest guy to, uh, to to walk on the moon, played golf on the moon, had a, a club head and a, a, attached it to a tool and whap, whap that thing, zero gravity, and, or zero gravity, zero atmosphere, and one-sixth gravity, uh, the ball did travel a good bit. That was quite even John Daly couldn't beat that drive, and uh, so it was. Uh, it was just it was it was awesome, absolutely awesome. Uh, lunar module pilot Ed Mitchell was on the show a couple of days. Everybody, everybody, almost all these folks gone off of these crews, and God bless Jim Lovell he, and Frank Borman passed away. Jim Lovell is uh, Jim Lovell's wife passed away, but Jim's still alive. Fred Hayes, the Apollo thirteen guys who didn't get to walk on the moon, they have outlived most of their Apollo compadres. Dave Scott, the Apollo 15 commander, still still alive. Most of them not, though. They're all either 90 or almost. And Ed Mitchell came back and became kind of a uh, became kind of a nut. <laughs> God, it was the what do you call it? The Institute of Noetic Sciences. Very much into the UFOs and the aliens and all of this. It's like, okay, Ed. <laughs> like, all right. Fun to talk. Glad I got a chance to talk to him, though. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. 
All right. 866-660-5759. Um, I've got observations about last night's uh, HD2 race, various other things to come, but let's go to the phones. 866-660-5759. We are in Sherman. David, Mark Davis, welcome. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing today? Hey, good. I, I apologize in advance. I'm out in the country, so I may lose you. If I lose you, I'm, I'm sorry. No problem. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about uh, Greg Abbott as a possible VP in mm-hmm. my... my my gut tells me, for the exact reasons that you brought up, I think he would be better as a director of Homeland Security. Mm. Oh, I mean, sure, that would be fitting. And his current uh, stances that he's taking are very, very specifically Homeland Security related. But this kind of, so sure, not a bad idea at all. I I don't know if. I think Governor of Texas is a bigger deal than Secretary of Homeland Security, so I, I don't think that'd be a, la- a lateral move. So I don't think you'd be interested. There, there are a lot of people who can be Director of Homeland Security. There really are. All you got to be is you know tough on the border and a good administrator. The, uh, the, the, this Abbott moment may be far larger. It may really be about showing the kind of nerve, the kind of spine, <laughs> a joke even he would, a reference even he would appreciate, uh, the kind of heart. That is that might might identify him as the kind of fighter that would be a really good Trump partner on the campaign trail. What 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 do you generally think about that? Oh, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I, yeah. I, I I couldn't be happy with with Greg Abbott as governor. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Well, hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Look, we 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 survived. And is Sherman out in the country? <laughs> If you have you been to Sherman, it may be its own megalopolis before too long. Lots going on up there. Austin College and it's, it's always confusing that Austin College is in Sherman, but that's okay. Work it out. Great school, great town, great people. Uh so so eight six 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 zero five seven five nine. Let's do a little a uh, little impeaching Mayorkas, shall we? Which sounds like a sounds like a movie. Coming to theaters near you, impeaching Mayorkas. Uh, here's Bree Jackson, NBC, on how that all might play out. So after that marathon meeting that began Tuesday morning, the House Committee on Homeland Security voted to advance articles of impeachment against DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, Republicans accused Mayorkas of not enforcing federal immigration laws. Specifically, the articles accuse him of breach of public trust and willful and systematic refusal to comply with the law. Democrats say the proceedings are a political stunt and put forth a number of amendments on stopping the process. All of them were rejected. Mm -hmm. Now, the next step is for the entire House to vote on the articles of impeachment. House Speaker Mike Johnson has said that that will happen soon. And that will trigger a trial in the Senate where it's unlikely to pass the Democrat-controlled upper chamber. But if the House does vote to impeach Mayorkas, he will be only the second cabinet member ever to be impeached. Deborah. All right. So anyway, uh, in that just the spectacle of Mayorkas under the impeachment magnifying glass, I don't know, might be... Um might be something of value just to remind even those who are slow-witted just how open and just how porous our border is. 823. Coming up on 830. Actually, we're past 830. Little AWB. Will DEI uh, allow me to play the average white band? Just check it. Little cut the cake. Speaking of cake, uh, we're we're almost done with season one of The Bear. Uh, it, it it won a ton 
of Emmys, and so our inclination was to see why. And uh, it's 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 pretty darn fantastic. This Jeremy Allen White, who I hadn't really seen anything. He's Carmen. Uh, and Ebon Moss Bachrock and A.O. Edebiri, they all won Emmys. It's like, oh, gosh, these guys must be really good. It's the story of a hoity-toity West Coast chef who's at the top of his game, but his brother dies uh, and leaves him a gritty Chicago uh, sandwich shop. And he comes back to the Chicago of his roots to run it and runs into and runs afoul of the cast of characters that are found within its walls. Really, really good. The Bear. I think it's on it's on Hulu. Uh, I know because I can't get past those stupid commercials. Anyway, so there you go. The Bear, awesome. Big thumbs up. 832, into the newsroom we go, and then onto the phones with you. 866-660-5759. Mark Davis, here's Nikki. More cowbell. Little Johnny Mellencamp, and they're so tough. All right, 866-660-5759. Phone calls first on uh, Trump-Abbott 2024. Anybody on board for that? What should Biden do? Biden says is there's going to be a measured, gradual, tiered, uh, T-I-E-R-E-D, with tiers, levels uh, of a response rolled out. Okay, I mean, just just so we do something. Just, Just so we do something. I think that the logic I'd like to push back against is the notion that doing anything suddenly launches us into an immediate long, hot shooting war in the Middle East. It is the gamble I'm willing to make that hitting Iran hard and quickly, please, will put them back on their heels and make them think twice about killing more Americans. That is the gamble I am willing to take because the thing I'm not willing to do is sit here and twiddle our thumbs and let Iran get away with killing Americans. That's a deal breaker for me. Lee, Mark Davis, welcome. Happy Wednesday. How are you? Hey, I'm well, Mark. How are you this morning? Good, thank you. Good. I was just sitting here thinking about Iran and thinking about these rogue nations and how the United States uh, responds to that. And a parallel I would draw is I'm the baby of five boys, and there's a seven-year age difference between the oldest and the youngest. Mm-hmm. Now, my dad was a Marine in World War II, and his theory on discipline uh, is something he called the hot stove theory, oh which means if you put your hand on a hot stove, it hurts instantly. So his theory on discipline for children, he didn't care if you're a Walmart, if you're a church, you get out of line, you get instant feedback. And that needs to apply to our government and the way we react to Iran. They need instant feedback. Anybody think Donald Trump would not have already given them feedback. I, I th- that I think so, and and it's funny because uh, has somebody asked him in the last few days? And it seems like a good question to hit him on the campaign trail with. If you were president, what would you have done? Uh, it would seem fairly Trump-like to deliver a punishment to Iran swiftly and certainly for killing Americans. Um, there is a. A a Trumpian America first, only do things that definitely elevate our interests, avoid foreign entanglements kind of ethos that also wraps around uh, the Trump philosophy. So I'm not 100 percent sure, but um, I I think you're probably right. 
Well, if they get out of line twice and you've hit them the first time, they're just stupid. Well, it's, it's gonna be, <laughs> that's it. Gonna yes, they are. Gonna yes, they are. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. Uh, listen, Lee, thank you, appreciate it. Now, here's here is the thing. There is a difference between dealing with um, the Ayatollahs of Iran and, say, the Soviet Union of old or China of the modern day. Uh, as evil as communist China is and as the old Soviet Union was, and, and, and let's lump in uh, authoritarian post-communist uh, Putin in modern-day Russia, um, they don't want to die. They don't seem to be uh, et up with a philosophy that says, man, if we die in a fireball, 73, how many virgins is it? Are we up to 73, 72? Lots of virgins. And uh, Allah will give us just a huge high five if we just go ahead and die. Even on their worst day, the Soviet Union did not uh, crave dying in an American nuclear fireball. Like, that would be awesome. That was mutual assured destruction, and it was an odd and nervous, uh, intense balance between our countries until the Soviet Union went away. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. These people, these folks, these theocratic mullahs in the uh, in the moonscapes of uh, of the Middle East, they they don't care. I think there are populations in Iran. That Iran, as I've said yesterday, is one of the youngest populations in the Middle East. It's also one of the most reform-minded on the streets. You may remember the Arab Spring and you know the Green Revolution and various things, which was the notion that maybe we would give support to factions in Iran who are interested in overturning that country's Stone Age theocracy. And, and maybe bring things back uh, towards some degree of sanity. I, I would love if we did that. That would be a, a, a good diplomatic thing to involve ourselves in. But when they've killed Americans, uh, the time for diplomacy is, large, is largely passed. And then it's time to hit them back and hit them back hard. I have said, said it three minutes ago, in fact, that I don't believe necessarily that the Iranian regime would then say, uh, okay, rodeo's on now. You know, fire up the virgins. Here we all come. I don't think so. Um, that's a gamble, no doubt. Now, Iran does not have nuclear weapons yet. The Biden administration seems hell-bent on smoothing a path for them to get nuclear weapons. But um, Trump tried to keep that from happening and will stop it in its, uh, in its tracks uh, the moment he is sworn in. Uh, in January of 2025. Uh, but for now, we've got to, to muddle through these waters with this president. And uh, and so what he should do, what we as a country should do, remains a, a point of, of contention. And you're welcome to weigh in at 866-660-5759. Grab a line. Let me know what uh, what your thoughts are. All right, let's go to battles on the Texas. Well, a couple of things Texas-related. Um, let's do this right now, because yesterday we welcomed the folks from Texas Values ahead of a day of oral arguments before the Texas Supreme Court from the horribly twisted, misguided uh, parents and doctors who have sued the state for daring to protect children from their evil plot to castrate boys 
and and deliver mastectomies uh, to healthy girls because they are screwed up enough to think that they are the opposite sex. Uh, the lawsuit has gotten to the Supreme Court, and there were arguments on that. Let's let me go ahead and do that now. David Centendry had a nice piece on Fox Four last night about that, and then and then we'll get back to the ripples of the HD two race where Jill Dutton. Uh, eked out a narrow win over Brent Money. Will that happen again when they meet each other again in the House District 2 primary on uh, on March 5th? Why do they tee it up again so soon? Because this was just to fill the unexpired term of the ejected Brian Slayton. So they will plug in like right now and be serving right now. But is it really serving when the legislature is not even really in session? Eh? Because that's what we do. We meet every other year in odd numbered years. So the the real enchilada is is the primary, and they meet again. So will Brent Money's folks get their act together a little better? Will more conservatives show up at the polls? Will everybody be showing up for Trump? And I think that's more of a Brent Money vote than a Dade feeling friendly Austin Swamp status quo Jill Dutton vote. Mm, we shall see. We shall see. Eight six 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 zero five seven five nine. So um. Anyway, David Centendry on the uh, on the the, the uh, SB fourteen battle. Yeah, families sued the state of Texas almost immediately a- after Governor Greg Abbott signed that bill into law. The state supreme court allowed the law to be enacted before today's arguments on its merits. The Texas Supreme Court heard arguments Tuesday surrounding a ban against minors receiving specific treatments for gender dysphoria. Okay, you know what a treatment for gender dysphoria, you know what a proper treatment for gender dysphoria is? A a quest for normalcy. If you've got a a 12-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl, that boy's jacked up. You don't don't castrate him and go with that. Good Lord, what are are we doing? You try to, and everything in a a time, aren't we supposed to be all wrapped up in in a quest for mental health? You know, if somebody's got uh, anorexia and they're skinny as a skeleton, but they think they're fat, we don't say, hey, go with that. Keep keep binging and purging. That's awesome. That's the real you. We try to fix them. We try to make them better. We we guide them toward reality. But for in the world of gender, we have gone way off the rails. What Senate Bill 14 does is take certain medical treatments off the table entirely. In September, Senate Bill 14 went into effect. It banned transgender minors from accessing treatments like hormone therapy and puberty blockers, as well as other treatments. And as well it should. And once again, there's no such thing as a transgender child. There is no such thing as a transgender child. You got a 12-year-old who thinks, a 12-year-old boy thinks he's a girl. You got a confused, mentally ill boy. You do not have a girl. There is no such thing as a transgender child. The prize transgender youth of equal rights. A group of parents, physicians, and special interest groups sued the state, claiming the law violates the constitutional rights of families and children based on sex. Uh, well, both boys and girls are denied these ghoulish so-called treatments, so there is no discrimination. And parental rights end at the point at which a procedure becomes illegal. No parent has the right to subject a child to something that the state has said we're not going to let anybody do. 
A Travis County judge temporarily blocked the law, but the state Supreme Court allowed it to go into effect anyway. Now justices must decide whether the law should stay in effect. This is a parent's choice, the fundamental right to decide. An attorney for the group suing the state argues that transgender children need the types of care Senate Bill 14 blocks. The state coming into the living room of parents and making decisions about care. And that's the problem. God help us. Just God, I literally mean that. God help us. God, please help us toward some type of clarity. The, if, if, you are, if you are beating the hell out of your kid with an extension cord, we're coming into your living room. If you are locking your kid in the basement and starving him, we're coming into that basement. If your confused and wayward daughter thinks she's a boy and you say, hey, mastectomy time. We're coming into your living room. It is protecting kids from evil. State, however, questions the credibility of studies which support gender-affirming care. There's and, and, and <laughs> gender-affirming. The first battle is always the battle for language. The first, the first rounds are always a battle for language. In what twisted lexicon is turning a boy into a girl gender-affirming? That is gender denial evidence to support these interventions is questionable at best and and threadbare and fraudulent uh, in reality among the medical organizations that support the standard of care are the american academy of pediatrics and the american medical association and this is this is where we are this this is where we are this is this is like you can find a bunch of people in white lab coats who say that your suv is making the planet warmer this is a perversity of grand scale but the state argues that care can be detrimental to kids. Even if we put aside all the uncertainty about the benefits of these decisions, we're talking about eight and nine-year-old children never going through puberty. Yeah, that's God bless Natalie Thompson from Ken Paxton's office doing the arguing before the state Supreme Court yesterday. And being rendered sterile because of these hormone procedures. Tuesday's hearing lasted about an hour. Justices posed questions and perspectives. It seems to me that what the court is really asked to do is resolve what is at bottom a moral and philosophical question. That is Justice Jimmy Blacklock. As opposed to a scientific question about the nature of men and women and what is gender identity isn't even a, a coherent concept. Here we are. Just please, please, Lord God. And listen, I, I don't oppose this evil because of my politics, because I'm, because I'm straight, because I know I'm a man, or anything. it's because I'm a human being with eyes and a brainstem. So, um, hope Supreme Court does the right thing there. Eight fifty-two. Eight fifty-eight, so that we don't give anybody a short shrift here. Uh, we've got a bunch of calls on a bunch of things, and that's why God made the nine o'clock hour. So here we come. If you're on the hold, on the hold. If you're on, if you're on the hold. If you're on the phone, sit tight, and uh, and we'll get right with you. It, it's there's a common thread that runs through things sometimes. Can, like, can you if we were to jump back into the time tunnel like thirty years ago? You know, and if 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 the thirty forty years ago. Would even the, the, the talk show audiences of 1984 or 94 say, you know, 30, 40 years hence, we'll be talking about whether America even has a border anymore. We'll, we'll, we'll have 
doctors and parents saying that gender-confused kids ought to be sliced open rather than healed. So many of these things, are, are they involve a lot of attention, a lot of prayer, and a lot of discussion. So uh, we do all of that. 866-660-5759. Into the next hour we go. Mark Davis, 859. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.